Does God exist? Yes. Not in my book. You'll have to ask him. Of course. Absolutely. I hope so. Hope so. Yes. Um, no. Depends on your point of view. What's your point of view? Sort of an agnostic. Does God exist? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not so sure. Well, sometimes you wonder if God exists, you know, with things that are going on in the world today. But I'm sure he does. He has his own reason for it, his own plan, right? Does God exist? I'm not sure. If he did exist, what would he want? What would he want? From you. He'd want me to be a good person. Does God exist? Sometimes. When he exists, what does he want? I don't know. I don't think he interferes with us very much. Does God exist? In your mind. What does he want? I don't know. Does he exist in your mind? Uh, I think there's a, somebody up there. I don't know if he's God or whatever. Does God exist? I say no. I wasn't raised to, like, uh, religious, so I'd say no. Is there anything sort of mending the boat? Any what? Is there any force or any spiritual thing kind of tending this whole mess or anything? I don't think so. I have never met, personally, I've never met anyone that didn't believe in God. Now, I'm using the term God there lightly. Um, I know that there are people who are atheist and agnostic and all kinds, all manner of spiritual whatever, searching or, or, or um, you know, whatever they, they believe. But I have personally never met anyone who didn't believe in, and I'm going to use quotes here, okay, God or something or power or spirit or phantom something in the clouds. I mean, every person that I've met who even claimed to have some type of um, disbelief in God or a God actually had belief in something to replace that as the supreme being, supreme power, um, creator of the world or orchestrator of the world or something to that effect. And so today, when we look at the idea of does God exist in this series, I mean, I wrestled with this question. I talked to people. I asked this question of people. And I just decided to kind of drop back to my own personal context here. And it's the idea that we're not going to look at does God exist as opposed to a reality where there is no God. And if you really do genuinely believe that today and you're here, I encourage you to come talk to me. Not so I can set you right because you're wrong. I just, I would love to engage you in conversation because like I said, I've never actually met someone. When we kind of press into conversation and the people that I have talked to in that way, like I said, there, there actually is just something different that they believe. And so we're going to look today out of a little different context than does God exist. We're going to look at is the God of the Bible, the God that we are here today to worship and that we've been singing about and that we read about in Scripture, is that God real and how can we know that? And if he is this real God that we can know about and can know him, how? What does that look like in our lives? When, when someone asks me that question, and it's been asked of me uh, uh, several times, a good number of times, when they ask me, you know, what do you believe about God and, and, and how do you know that God exists and, and ha, you know, wants to have a relationship with you or, or has some ability to connect with you, I point them to a trip just several years ago. Before that, I don't even remember how I answered that question. But just a couple years ago, I went to Uruguay. There were a few people in this room today that were on that trip. I went to Uruguay 
and, and uh, we went on a trip there with uh, the student ministry uh, from the Marietta campus. And we were doing most of our ministry and most of our time in the country in the city of Montevideo. And we traveled one day about an hour or so from there to the coast to a, a, a town um, called Atlantida. And, and we went there. There was a, a house there where, where some missionary discipleship students were being, they, they lived and they were being trained. And so we went there to visit them and um, to eat the most amazing sandwiches. Oh, my gosh, it was unbelievable. My mouth waters now even thinking about it. Um, but we, we went there and we spent some time with them. And it was right on the coast. And they had like this paradise that they lived in. It was like a, a house. And then you walked across the street. And there was the beach. And there was the ocean. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I want to suffer for Jesus in that discipleship program, okay? Um, but it was amazing. And so we were at the house, and we were spending time with them, and, and we were waiting on our, our meal to be kind of finished cooking. And so um, some of the students decided to take some of us from the group into the town, into like the downtown area. And we were just going to walk around, and there were some shops and restaurants and whatever. And so we walked into the town, and while we were in town, we, we ran across this internet cafe. And like any fully blooded Americans, we had to check our Facebook status and Twitter and if the Braves had won and check our email, whatever. So we all like flooded this internet cafe for a little while. And, and I finished and so I walked next door and, and got something to drink and several of our group, we were just kind of milling around in the street. And so I saw some of these shops along the way. And so I walked, you know, around and I looked into some of the shops and I, I walked along and I was listening to some of the conversations. I couldn't understand a word they were saying, but they seemed to be really engaged there. And so I was listening to these conversations and just kind of taking in the sights. And after a few minutes, I was kind of wrapped up in the scenes in front of me. After a few minutes, I turned around. The group was gone. Couldn't see a single person that I knew. Walked back, looked into the internet cafe. The Spanish brother that owned that just kind of waved at me. And I didn't want to pay any more money. So I stepped back out and I looked down the street. Didn't see anybody. So I thought, you know what? They may have left. They may have been going back towards the house. I guess dinner's ready. And so... I have a pretty good sense of direction. Now, my wife would probably disagree with me on that. But I, I felt like, okay, I know how to get there. I mean, we're, it was just a couple of turns. We just were walking. I mean, we walked. It's not that far. So we walked and we took a few turns here, there. And so I just started walking in the general direction that I thought. And I turned and I was sure that that turn was correct. I remembered making that opposite handed turn coming and I got to the next street corner and I thought, okay, I'm pretty sure we went left here. And so I turned left and then I got on a street that seemed a little unfamiliar to me and I came to another stop and I'm trying to figure out which way to go. And I went a certain way and I was pretty sure when I made the decision, this is not right. And I started walking down that street because I'm stubborn and didn't want to admit that I was lost to no one who was with me. And I'm walking down that street, and I had kind of the, the scariest thought. I'm sure you, have, you never have thoughts like this, but I, I really did have this almost eerie feeling that no one in the world knows where I'm at. I mean, I'm talking about like my group was probably one block removed from me. They could have been hiding in the trees laughing at me. I'm not sure. But nobody in my group knew exactly where I was at. My wife knew I was just generally in Uruguay. She didn't even know we had gone to Atlantida that day. And I'm thinking, okay, if, if something were to happen to me right now, I mean, I've seen a lot of movies. I could end up in some type of prison camp in North Korea when I wake up. I'm not even sure how this works. And like, I, I was so nervous. 
And, and I, I really did. I just kind of thought to myself right then. I thought, man, nobody knows where I'm at right now. I, I don't even know how to get back. Nobody knows where I'm at. And in that moment, as real as, as anything has ever happened to me in my whole life, I, I felt, I, I sensed, I heard the voice of God speak into my life. And he said, I know where you're at. To which I replied, well, then how do I get back to the house? <laughs> no, I didn't talk to myself in, in that street. I, I eventually did find my way back. But I, I, I've reflected on that moment Hundreds of times. Because it was so real to me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think it was some cosmic, you know, the, the planets aligned in that moment and the magnetism of the, the force of the upper crust of the core of, you know, something resonated. I just generally believe, evidently there's some science students right there that thought that was hilarious. I just, I just genuinely believe in my heart that it was the Lord speaking to me. And assuring me that he knew where I was at. That I wasn't alone. It resonates really well with this passage of scripture in Psalm 139 verse 7. And it says this is going to be on the screen. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. This is David talking here and he's saying, listen, I can't get anywhere away from your presence. And for me, that looked like Atlanta to Uruguay, somewhere on a street between downtown and the house where we were eating. But for you, it could literally be your home. It could literally be as you drive up 575, it could be on your work in your cubicle. Stay-at-home moms or dads or non-stay-at-home moms. It could be that spot in front of your dishwasher. The presence of God is there. It could be you as you navigate life attempting to get married. Or stay married. Or have children. Or figure out how to have, like, kill your children and no one find out about it. I mean... Wherever you are, this assurance here is that you cannot escape the presence and the spirit and the power of God. Now, some of you, you say, yeah, but you're using the Bible to say that. And so that doesn't really help me to identify if this God, if this spirit, if this power is the true and living God. Now, Pastor Mark, he did an incredible job last week helping us to establish that the Bible is credible. It's historically credible. And if you weren't here or you have questions about this, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to that message, the podcast there through iTunes, or you can request a CD if you'd like to at the next steps table. But it was an incredible message where he really walked us through the credibility of the Bible. And what does the Bible say to us? The Bible says to us that Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, was the one who created the heavens and the earth. And there are a number, hundreds, maybe thousands of stories throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But guess what? There is only one story in the Bible. 
Bible scholars would call that the meta-narrative. It's like the larger narrative of Scripture. There are these little narratives along the way. There's the creation story, and then there's Joseph, and there's, you know, there's Abraham and Moses, there's Jonah, and there's King David, and there's the, the, the Gospels. And so we read about Jesus, and we read about the disciples, and then we see about Paul and the establishment of these churches. And we, we just travel through Scripture, but really there's only one story in the Bible. The Bible story, the meta-narrative of Scripture if you ever come to the place where you believe that the Bible is true and credible, is one truth. That God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the story of the Bible. Jesus Christ was present in the Old Testament. He didn't just show up in Matthew. He was present in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament. And so we see this narrative that God is reconciling, redeeming all things to himself through Jesus Christ. And so when I think about that, that's easy for me to grasp. It's easy for me to understand because that's the lens through which I view everything else. And there's kind of two lenses. There's the lens that, yeah, I believe that. I believe a portion of that or all of that. I'm wholesale in there. And then there's the other lens that says, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true. And so we're going to talk about a little bit from both of these perspectives. But what we have in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we have a man by the name of Paul. We have been tracking the story of Paul since we launched in January. We've been tracking his story really through the book of Ephesians. But here in Acts chapter 17, we see him come into the city of Athens. He's along a journey here and he's gotten separated from his companions. And so he is waiting on them to join him in Athens so that they can continue their ministry endeavors. He shows up in the city of Athens and Athens in that day was much the same size as it is now, about a half a million people. And it was not only like a really good city there, it was also an incredible like cultural center. There were some incredible things that were happening in the city of Athens, but really (coughs) the writer of Acts, who is Luke, (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Wow. Everybody just turn and talk to your neighbor. Luke records in Acts 17 this this funny little statement about the people of Athens when he says that all they did was kind of stand around trying to figure out some new truth to impress one another. And so they just were seeking truth and knowledge. (coughs) Excuse me. And so in Acts 17, what we have is Paul addressing these people who were seeking truth and knowledge about their belief system, about these gods that they believed in, because there were a bunch of gods everywhere. They had these idols all over the city. And this wouldn't have been a new concept. Paul would have seen this on all of his missionary journeys. But in Athens, this place where they were seeking truth, they had created idols for just about everything, and they were just... Um, fully exposed and available anywhere you went in the city of Athens. And so they created a God for everything. And, and you're familiar with some of these gods because of Greek mythology. Maybe when you were in school, you read about some of these in, in a literature class or whatever. So you're familiar with some of these gods that they had created and these idols that they had created for these times. And so I want us to read out of Acts chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. It's going to be on the screen, but we're going to look and work our way through a passage of Scripture in Acts 17 before we kind of close our time together. And this is Paul talking to these people, mostly men, in this, in this building, this kind of highbrow um, cultural center where they just debated philosophy. 
And so you, you may can get in your mind what, what he's talking here. So he's standing in front of that group of people. He's been uh, debating some of these same things in the synagogue with some of the religious leaders. But here's what he says beginning in verse 22. <clears throat> it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting <clears throat> and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, like I said, he's walked around the town. The verses right before this tell us that he's walked around and he's seen all of these idols that they had, okay? He says, I see that you're very religious. Verse 23. For as I walk around and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, here's what he's saying. Let's stop for just a second. He's saying, listen, I walked around and I saw all these idols you've got. I've seen all the things that you guys have as your spiritual centers or whatever. And he says, I also saw one that had the inscription. Every one of them was named something and it told us what it was for. And he said, I, I also saw one that says to an unknown God. And I'm here. You've been worshiping that one as something you don't know. I'm here to proclaim to you what that God is or who that God is. And so as he walked around, he kind of saw that there were these gods for every other reason, every other thing. And so I came up with a list of three things that I think we create gods for. When I say create gods, it's kind of something that I prayed a little earlier. I'm not just talking about, you know, Zeus or whatever, some mystical, mythological character. I'm talking about anything that you place your affection in above God. Okay? Here's the three things that I came up with. Um, the first is that you look to create a God or look for a God or power or spirit or figure or something to explain something that you can't explain. If you look at historical narratives throughout history, non-religious, non-biblical um, fables, you see that they all created these stories to explain the things that they could not explain about the world around them. The second thing that I, I think we do is in, in looking for gods or looking to create gods is we look for someone or something or some power or some spirit to do something that we can't do. So, you know, they created a god for the harvest because they weren't able. They could only plant the seeds in the ground, but they needed to pray to someone, believe in something, believe that there was somebody doing a work to bring about a harvest out of the ground for the product that they had put in the ground. So to do something that we can't do. And the third thing that I think we look to a God, power, spirit, force, something to do is to give us a purpose beyond today. You're not comfortable with your life narrative. And so you look to some God, power, life source of some kind to say, I need a purpose. I need a direction. I need a plan. So we, we have these gods for, to explain to us things we can't explain, to do things that we can't do on our own, and to give us a purpose. And we're going to see that um, as Paul kind of unpacks this for them, because what he saw is he saw that they had gods for everything. They had gods for the sun, and gods for the harvest, and gods for fertility, and gods for food, and gods for night, and gods for day, and God for all these kind of things, to do these three things that, that I believe all of us continue to do now. And so here's what he says as he continues Beginning in verse 24, it says the God who made the world, the God, excuse me, who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them. 
and the exact places where they should live. So leave that scripture up on the screen, please. The God who made the hev- who made the world and everything in it. So stop right there. That to me is what he's saying. You've created a God to explain the things that you can't explain. Primarily, this debate in our present day relates to creation. We create some story, some God, but not just to creation, but anything to deal with nature, to anything that, that deals with catastrophe in the world, that it relates to tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes and, and, and all kinds of things that are happening. We see that there's a God here who, who created the world and everything in it. So he's saying to them, as you look to gods to explain the things you can't explain, there's already a God for that. It's this unknown God you've been, you've been talking about but didn't understand. And he is this God who made the world and everything in it. The next part that he says in verse 25 is he said, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So he's saying, listen, if you're looking for a God to do the things that you can't do, understand that this God that I'm talking about is that God. He, he gives breath to human beings. He gives this, this uh, life to them. So you can't give life to something else. You know, so, so God did that for you. He's doing something you can't do. And the third thing it said in verse 20, uh, 26, he said, he determines the time set out for them in the exact places where they should live. He's saying, listen, if you're looking for purpose, you find it right here. God sets out for man the purpose of their life, the days of their life. And so let's just get really practical before we kind of head back into this text. Some of you are sitting here this morning asking some of these same questions. There's some things about my life that I don't understand. And I need someone to explain them for me. I need some explanation about the way things are working in the world. Next week, Pastor Mark is going to talk to us about why there is suffering in the world. And that's a big question. We all want to know, why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? You're you're wondering why things are going like they are in your life or in the world, or you're trying to figure out why it's happening. Listen, God is a God that can be trusted with those questions. He's a God that can explain. He doesn't have to. But you know what he assures us every single time? You look at every story in the scriptures. Job is a great example of one that we hear about a lot of people that are And, you know, having bad things happen to them. Job had everything taken away from him. He was a good man. And he lost his family and he lost all of his his property. And he got sick himself. And his friends were saying, curse God and die. And, And the end of the story, after a lot of dialogue, he gets everything back, double fold. Just many blessings. You know the truth about that story, though, that always just irritates me? God never told him why it happened to him. We understand, we see in the story, it's an incredible story in the book of Job. We see that, but God never gives him the answer. I like the answers, but you know what God gives him? Gives him his presence. He gives him himself. That's all he does at the end of that book. He gives him himself. The second thing, you might be sitting here today and you might say, man, there's things I can't do. There's things I want to do for me or for my family, but I'm, in, I'm incapable of that. Turn and talk to somebody else. I've got to get this out of my throat. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Can't promise you it won't happen again. 
You say, there's things I want to do for me and my family. I can't do it. I'm incapable of that. Guess what? God can do it. Can't, I can't assure you that he will, but he can. I told you a couple weeks ago, if you were here with us on Easter, that two years ago my mom was diagnosed with, or about three years ago now, my mom was diagnosed with colon cancer. Man, we prayed and believed that God would heal her. Guess what? She, she passed away last March. And so a lot of people that I've been interacting with over the last year who also have lost loved ones or friends that they were close to or even people maybe that haven't experienced that but prayed with us, prayed along with us as we were praying for my mom's healing, they've, they've, they've asked the questions, man, I don't know why God didn't do that and, and didn't heal her here so she would still be here. And I don't know either. You know what? When I, I heard the other day that someone that I know was sick and they had cancer, you know what I did? I prayed that God would heal them. Why? I mean, some people, they, they say, well, you know, my mom didn't get healed or my sister didn't get healed or, or this didn't happen for me. So it means he can't do it or it doesn't matter. Or it's useless effort. I say the exact opposite. I say, I, I don't understand why, but I know he can. There's too many people who have testified that they were sick and the doctors gave them no hope and they're still living. They got a clean bill of health. We look in the stories of Scripture and we see that Jesus walked around and healed people who were sick. And a man told me a great truth when I was looking at Scripture and I was, I was seeing all these people that were being healed. And he said, you know what happened to every person that Jesus ever healed? They eventually died of something else. You ever thought about that? I never had. I just thought, man, that's cool. That guy was healed of, you know, blindness or whatever. But he didn't. He's not still living. He's not still walking around with like mud caked in the corner of his eye. If you know that story, you're, you've been in church too long. Um, <clears throat> no, but he, every person Jesus ever healed died of something else. Their healing was not about them. It was about demonstrating the power of God through Jesus Christ to heal them. And there were moments <clears throat> when Jesus would walk up to a group of people who were sick. I think about the story at the pool of Bethesda. He walked up, there were a number of sick people and Jesus healed one guy and walked off and all the rest were left there. And man, I, I look at that story and I go, why? I don't know. But you know what I know? He healed that guy. He can heal. He has the power to heal. I don't understand all of how the narrative and all of how the story works, but let me just say to you that if you're searching for a God to do the things that you can't do, and it doesn't just have to be sickness. You've got financial issues, you've got relational issues, you've got marriage issues, you've got things on your job, you've got things in your home, and you're looking for something, someone, some power, some spirit. Let me just say to you that the God of the Bible can do the things that you need him to do. The third thing that I think we today are doing that Paul was even saying to these Athenians. Is we're looking for purpose beyond today and we are looking to a number of sources to make that happen. We're living our lives, we're living every day, we're trying to figure out what our life today means about our life tomorrow. <clears throat> we're looking for purpose. Some of you, you may have the bumper sticker on your car in the parking lot now. Jeremiah 29, 11. 
I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And yes, if you just tag that by itself, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a part of a larger story, so I don't want to take it out of context, but it tells us the truth that God does and did have a plan for a group of people, and he does and did have a plan for us. Scripture tells us that the cross was not like an afterthought to the story. It says that the lamb who was Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Like there was a plan in place that God has a plan. He's orchestrating a plan. I told you there's this meta narrative, this larger story, the scripture of God that says that God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. And Romans tells us that our purpose is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, of God's son. And so you can do that on any job that you have, whether they pay you a lot of money or no money, or you have to pay them to be there, okay? That your purpose in life is to be continually shaped and formed into the identity of Jesus Christ, the, the personhood that reflects Jesus because that reflects the Father. And so you're looking for someone to explain to you things that you can't explain and someone to do things that you can't do, and you're looking for purpose beyond today. Paul is saying to the Athenians, and I am saying to the Cantonites, Okay, the God of the Bible is that person. He is who you have been looking for, seeking to find. And he even says right here in verse 27, he said, God did this. He he created the world. He gave you purpose. He, He gave life to you. He said, God did this so men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far off from each one of us. You know, Paul in this passage of scripture points the the people of Athens to two places. To really see God. To identify God. He gives them two places that they can point. And I want to give those to you very quickly this morning. And then we're going to pray. And we're going to be on our way and try to live this out. And see if it resonates with us as we leave this place. The first place that Paul points them to is creation. It's to the world around us. This is going to be up on the screen. If you're looking for God, you can find God in the world around you, in the world, the created world that God has given to us. You know, he says in, uh, in verse 24, which we read, the, the God who made the world and everything in it. It just assumes, it implies that he made everything <clears throat> in the world. When you look out at the stars, you look out at the sky, you walk out today and you look at the clouds and you see this expanse of blue. We understand that the Hubble telescope tells us that, you know, we can see and know like 80 billion. Man, Kevin Gardner is my friend. Thank you, buddy. That was an awkward hug. Um, The Hubble telescope. Scientists estimate that there are 80 billion galaxies in our universe that we can see. But even beyond the ones that we can see, they estimate there's another 300 billion or so that we can't see. We look up at the stars, and if you've ever had the opportunity to do this, you kind of look and the the city lights are away. And the stars just continue to kind of appear. You're looking up and you see them and then it almost looks like more show up. 
as your, as your eyes become accustomed to the sky. We see the sun and we understand that the earth is revolving, orbiting around the sun. We're, we're spinning at a thousand miles per hour. Spinning, orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And, and scientists tell us that if we were just a fraction off of the tilt that the earth has, or we were a fraction closer or further away, life would not be sustainable. I've been at the top of the Rocky Mountains and I've, I've been at that place and I've been looking, you know, looking up at the mountains. I've been looking out into the ocean. I've walked through the mountains near here. I've walked through by a river, by a stream. Every one of those moments is a part of God's nature revealed to us. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their, world, or their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. And nothing can hide from its heat. One sun, the sun that we see. Scientists tell us that there could be as many as 400 billion suns just in our galaxy. It's, it's an amazing idea when you start thinking of like little me in this room, in this area, this town, this community, this state, this country, in this world as one small part of that. And all of that, scripture says, is, resides in the palm of his hand. If you've ever stood in any of those moments as you looked at creation, you looked at nature and it almost takes your breath away or you feel this sense of peace and calm. I say to you and not to sound like trite in this at all. That moment, that awe, that sense of reverence that you have, you are looking at the glory of God. Creation reveals to us this God. The second place that Paul really points the men of Athens to, to find God, to find the identity and the personality of this God that they were worshiping without really knowing who he was, is to look at themselves, to look at you. Creation reveals, but we can know God by looking at ourselves. He said in verse, I believe, 25 and 26, he said, he's not served by human hands as if anything, as if he needed anything, but because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men. They would inhabit the earth. Do you know that your blood in your body is pumped by your heart? And it's pumped with such a pressure that if you were to be cut in the perfect way, that that blood would shoot 30 feet in the air? Some of you are so grossed out right now. Is Seth Lenny in the room? He just threw up in his mouth. That's, that's, incredible. that's incredible to me. We understand that the basic foundation of human life is, is DNA. One strand of DNA, one piece, one cell, one molecule has three billion letters. It's a part of that. If you were to read three letters every second, some famous, really smart person said this. It would take you 31 years to read one single DNA molecule. 
Max Licato is an author. He says in his book, 316, which is a really great book if you're just looking for, for a book. He, he, he says this. It's going to be up on the screen. Can you throw this up there? It says, our universe is God's missionary. A house implies a builder. A painting suggests a painter. Don't stars suggest a star maker? Doesn't creation imply a creator? When you look at you, you can see the handiwork of God. Corey and I have four children. Every single time one of them is born, and they're not reborn, you know what I'm saying? Four births. I don't feel good, all right? Every single time I've been there in those delivery rooms and a moment before there was no baby with us, and in the next moment there was this crying, breathing, living child. We talk about it every time. I'm in awe of the work of God. It's one of the ways that I know God. I know God through his creation and I know God when I look at me and I look at you. Because that's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. In our search, in our pursuit of God, we actually find that he's been pursuing us. We've created everything that we can create and what we find is that he already created what we needed to find him. He placed us in our existence to find and know him. I want the band to come on up. I heard a story, and it's 100% true, okay? It's been verified. You got to take my word for it. It's a pastor, elder, elderly gentleman now. His name is E.J. Reynolds. He pastored in Georgia a number of years ago, and at one point, he was pastoring in a little town named Alabama City, Alabama. Didn't even know that was a real place. Alabama City, Alabama. He had a daughter named Rhonda. Rhonda was raised in this pastor's home, and she lived there, and she um, grew up in that home. And, but during her teenage years, she just kind of strayed away from God and the things that her parents had taught her. came time for her graduation. And she wanted to take a trip to Europe with a bunch of her friends. She'd gotten caught up with some of the wrong folks and her parents were really apprehensive about it. But they eventually agreed to let her go. She was supposed to be gone three weeks. This happened a number of years ago, really before, you know, we were so well connected around the world. There's no cell phone. She didn't really have, you know, a good way to communicate with them. And so it was going to be a little scarce anyway, their communication. But she was supposed to be gone three weeks. And at the end of the first week, they still hadn't heard from her. A little bit nervous, you know, and as parents are anyway, they're a little bit nervous, but they assumed they would hear from her. At the end of the second week, they still hadn't heard from her. They were very nervous, but they knew, hey, there's only one more week and she'll be back home. The day came for her arrival back home, and they waited with just anticipation for her to come walking in, and there was a knock at the door. So they assumed maybe she had her hands full, whatever. They come running to the door and open the door, and there stand her friends that she went to Europe with. She's not standing there. And they said, where is Rhonda? Her friends said that to her parents. Her parents said, well, what do you mean, where's Rhonda? She went to Europe with you. They said, yeah, but we got separated and we didn't, we didn't see her again after about halfway through the trip. And we assumed she just caught an earlier flight home. You can imagine the fear and dread of these parents. 
the friends left and the parents began praying. They contacted the authorities. They didn't know what else to do. They, they didn't have the money to fly to Europe to chase her down. They, they tried to compile money, but even if they got there, where would they start? The end of the first week, the second week, the third week went by. They still hadn't heard anything. Fourth week, fifth week, nothing. Sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleven weeks in, they still haven't heard anything. The twelfth week, the parents go and they go to the little church where they're pastoring. They walk down the center aisle of the church and they kneel down in the altar. They opened God's word and they began to read and they prayed. And while they were praying, Brother Reynolds, the pastor there, the, the father of Rhonda, he, he said he believes with all of his heart that that voice that I was talking about that spoke to me in Atlante to Uruguay said to him, call Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain. He thought, well, I, I just want some Kentucky Fried Chicken, I guess that's what it is. And he just kept praying. A few minutes later, he felt that same prompting. He said, call Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain. He said, I, I didn't know if there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain. You have to understand, this story is a number of years old. He went back to his house. He had a rotary phone. He had to dial zero and ask for a person-to-person call to Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain. The international operator said, what's the address? He said, I, I don't know. She said, well, is there a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain? He said, I, I don't know. But the lady on the phone was very patient with him. And she said, please hold on. And what seemed like an eternity later, but probably was just a moment or two. She comes back on and says, connecting. Here's the phone ringing. Here's someone pick up on the other end. It's very noisy. And the international operator says to the person that answered the phone, I have a person-to-person call from the United States. And they asked for the name, and, and he said, I'm looking for Rhonda Reynolds. And so the lady says to the proprietor there at the Kentucky Fried Chicken, I'm, I'm looking for Rhonda Reynolds. The guy says on the other end of the phone, is there a Rhonda Reynolds here? He spoke English. Is there a Rhonda Reynolds here? Rhonda Reynolds. Nobody said anything. He said, I'm sorry, there's no one here. Hold on just a second. He, he takes the phone and he walks out to the front door of the Kentucky Fried Chicken and opens the door and says, Rhonda Reynolds? Rhonda Reynolds? And at that exact moment, in a group of people walking down the street, Rhonda Reynolds was walking in that group. She says, I'm Rhonda Reynolds. The guy hands her the phone. She holds it to her ear. And she hears the voice of her father. Not just her earthly father, her heavenly father, doing what he does for me and you. Chasing us to Atlanta, Uruguay, or a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain, or down 575, or in the cubicle at your job, or at your desk in science class, or standing in front of a dishwasher, or sitting in a theater in Sequoia High School. He reveals himself to us to say, if you will pursue me, if you will look to me and try to find me, you will. Amen. Because I've been pursuing you. 
it may not answer your question. It may not suffice for you. And you may walk out of here today with the same questions that you walked in with. And if you do, I encourage you, come and talk to me, talk to someone else about what you're feeling, what you're believing. But let me just say to you with full confidence today, okay? I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe he's revealed himself to us through creation and through his created beings, us. I believe that. And I believe that God is pursuing you. And as you pursue him, you will find him. Because as Paul told these men in Athens, he is not far off from any of us. I've asked the band to sing a song. It's one of my favorite songs. They're going to sing. We're going to come back and pray. And I just encourage you in this moment, if you have any part of your heart, any part of your life that's been asking these questions, there's some things going on that you don't understand and you've been looking for an explanation. Would you look to the Heavenly Father? There's some things you want to do but can't do. Would you look to the Heavenly Father? There's some things you're not sure about with the future and your purpose and life in general. Would you look to the Heavenly Father? He's pursuing you, revealing himself to you, making himself available to you so that when you look for him, you will find him. I believe this is more than just a song, Lord. I believe this is the reality of our lives on this earth looking for you. And so, God, for the people in this room today who have not searched for you, they've not sought you out, would something that's happened today, a moment in worship, the truth of your scripture, would it just compel them, not through our words of manipulation or anything like that, but God, just your presence and your power here today, would they just sense that in such a way that they are drawn to pursue you, to seek you? Maybe they look to your word, which is the best place to find you've given it to us to understand and to know you better. God, help us to surround these folks with just a community of people that makes searching okay. For those of us who maybe we've we've been searching, but we don't really have it all figured out and we're still not sure. Help us today to continue that search. Help us to to find that. Reveal yourself to us in new and, 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 and fresh and amazing ways. Let us just find things every day that just reveal your nature. And we know that it just resonates in our heart. And God, for those of us, maybe we've been walking with you a while. This is not a new deal for us. God, would you just break our hearts for you again? As I prayed and I studied and I prepared for today, I felt like, you know, there'll be people in the room that they kind of maybe turn me off at different segments here. Just knowing, hey, I know who God is. I know God exists. But would you just help us to know you better? Would you just help us to want to pursue you more? God, do the work in our hearts. I pray that you would would be with us. God, you would make us more like you, that we would reflect your very nature as we pursue you because you're pursuing us. You're there. You're available to us. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.